I just had so much energy just like surging up through me. Like I was shaking for so much adrenaline and joy and fear, the whole mix. Wow. But it just felt amazing. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. On this episode, I sit down with Jen Long, a musician, activist, and designer based in Providence, Rhode Island. In our interview, we talk about the hurdles she's overcome to become a musician, what Girls Rock R.I. means to her, and how the Whale Guitar Project came about and what it's looking to achieve. Hope you enjoy the episode, and as always, please follow along on Facebook and Instagram, at LivingRoomUTB, for show flyers and more from Jen's time in music. Can you talk a little bit about where you grew up? I grew up in Euclid, Ohio, which okay. is the first suburb east of Cleveland on the, along the lake. Yeah, okay. Um, and I grew up, I'm one of eight kids. Wow, okay. Which is, which is something unusual these days. Mm-hmm. I'm the second oldest of eight. Um, went to Catholic schools and, and kind of flamed out really young. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, I had kids at oh, okay. 19 and 21. Yeah. And so my kids are, my oldest will be 40 this year, and my youngest will be 37, I think. Yeah, okay. Like that. Um, so I did a lot of bartending. Mm-hmm. I, I did sign painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a single parent for most of that time. As they started to get into school, I started going to... Cuyahoga Community College in mm-hmm. Cleveland and taking some art courses there. Okay. And my teacher said that Mrs. Friedman, one of the most inspiring teachers I've ever had, she said that I should apply to Cleveland Institute of Art. And she helped me um, put together my portfolio. So I have a degree in industrial design. And uh, when I graduated, I got a job at Fisher Price. So I went from Cleveland to Buffalo. Yeah. So we moved uh, along the Rust oh, Belt. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, in Buffalo is where I met Brian, my husband. Mm-hmm. Jablonski. Um, Jablonski. Yeah. Brian Jablonski. And then um, after three years there, I received an offer from Hasbro to come out. And so I checked out Providence and... I was just like, what's not to like? This is awesome. And the ocean is here. Yeah. I have a very strong connection to, well, the ocean now at the time, it was Lake Erie, large bodies of water. Yeah, yeah. I was, grew up on Lake Erie. So to actually come out to the actual ocean was just a dream. So, yeah. And we like roughly that. what year was that? Like, that was um, 1997. Okay. So we've been here <clears throat> 22 years. Mm-hmm. And Brian came out about six months later, and we've been we've been in the house we own now for twenty years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. But um, 
I didn't play music back then. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna have, like, so the music your... <laughs> story is is all out. that's that's just the background that a lot of people don't don't know about me. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we live so much in the present, and people, you know, my kids are grown, and they just know me as Jen Long, um, designer or yeah, um, musician, whale guitar, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I've seen a lot of life. <laughs> yeah. But was music, like, around when you were growing up? No. Um, so one of the things that I talk a lot about is the influence of TV and radio on playing music. Mm-hmm. Because there were musicians on both sides of my family. In my grandfather and my father's side, he was one of 17 kids. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 11 of which survived childhood diseases, which were a huge deal back then. Mm-hmm. Um, they grew up in a farm in Bucyrus, Ohio, and their family was actually the town um, musicians for for the square dances. So they were oh, the okay. callers and the musicians. Wow. So there's deeply a uh, musical heritage on that side, mm-hmm. but... Um, the advent of radio and television, uh, it just, people weren't teaching the generations to play music. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you could have, what I would hear is, I can have the best person in the world in my living room watching Ed Sullivan. Or oh, yeah, yeah. Or curating your vinyl was the idea of mastery of music. Yeah. It was like, I select the best musicians and I play yeah more of yeah more of a curation culture than of an actual playing culture and Mm -hmm. when you have eight kids if you get one kid an instrument and lessons and then if everyone else wants to play the level of expense is probably frightening and I used to beg for instruments I always wanted an auto harp okay that was something I really wanted I had seen um, Jim Carter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also there was that Mill Valley, California song. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It was uh, like a first grade teacher who wrote this song and played it, and kids were singing it. She played it out of heart. And I always wanted one of those, and I um, could never get that. So it was this strong yearning and maybe something in my blood, but uh, it just wasn't happening. So I missed out on that. And my mother's father played violin, sang, danced. His best friend when he was growing up was either, I get this confused, uh, Gene Kelly or Danny Kaye. Somebody who went on and became a famous dancer, singer, person. Um, And so he used to sing and dance and roller skate and do all these things. Yeah. And um, my mom had piano lessons and violin lessons and ballet lessons and then hated it all. <laughs> and I think maybe she was overscheduled or something. So when she had this crew of kids, she's like, no, you're not going to do those lessons. You yeah. know, you're not going to like it. So mm-hmm. just some different cultural forces discouraging music from our... Uh, but that's great that it kept with, you know, like yeah, it made its way through, I guess. So when did you start playing music? 
Well, in my 30s, I'd been down to New Orleans a couple times because I have brothers um, and a sister who went to Tulane. Mm-hmm. And I got exposed to Zydeco. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just loved it. Yeah. So I, Brian actually got me an accordion. Yeah. And I, this was when we were in Buffalo. So I was in my mid-30s. I took some accordion lessons. And okay. it's like three blind mice and yeah. camp town races and all this stuff. I would take my lessons, but I really wanted to be able to write my own songs. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. that interested in those songs. Or well, like playing like traditional accordion. Yeah, I wanted. I'm yeah. like, well, how do we get to the Zydeco though? You yeah. know, like how do we get to? Um, and was it a full accordion, or were you playing? It a was squeeze a full box accordion. Board? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Where Zydeco, a lot of Zydeco is squeeze box. Yeah, yeah. But like, but Buckwheat Zydeco plays full accordion, yeah. full piano accordion. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I was working my first corporate job, and. It was just so demanding that mm-hmm. it was very hard to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. So between that and having two teenage kids, I would take my lessons, but I never felt like I was really advancing along. And mm-hmm. I still had this mindset that I had picked up culturally. I think being a natural was a big thing in my family, too. Apparently, my Uncle George, I also have this uncle who was a drummer. Mm-hmm. Oh, he never had a lesson. Like, if you were good at this, you wouldn't need a lesson. Yeah, all right. Right? This whole natural thing. And so and I was taking lessons, but I just had this this built-up thing thinking, oh, you know, you probably really had to learn this when you were a kid, and your only prodigies really learn how to play music. So... But I did keep at it, and mm-hmm. I still can play some accordion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that kind of led to other instruments? Well, or? then we moved to Providence, yeah, okay. and I still took accordion lessons. Yeah. I was taking them at Accordi in um, Pawtucket, and I actually took lessons from Alec Redburn. Alec oh, Redburn yeah. would come over, and Alec was one of the first people who was like, look, you know, you can, you can write songs. And mm-hmm. I couldn't even believe it. I was like, no way, you know, like that's like some another kind of level of prodigy mm-hmm. that can write songs or something. And he's and he, he like insisted on like having me kind of consider myself a composer from the get go. Mm-hmm. And um, I still didn't take the lessons very long. Again, I was like in this heavy corporate job, and it just seemed like every time I started to get somewhere, I would get have to go to China or I um, have to do all-nighters or there's just so much pressure mm-hmm. and so I wasn't um, keeping up with it I was also intimidated I just had so much intimidation because I was also married to an amazing musician mm-hmm. so if you know anything about an accordion your mistakes are loud yeah, right yeah. you can't play <laughs> those things softly so you have to be daring enough to play it and make all the blunders. And I would just like, my own shoulders would just be going up to my ears. And I was so uh, oversensitive about other people hearing me. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to sing, but the same thing. I was just like trapped in my own like insecurities and uh, fear of being, uh, of just being ridiculous, you know? Okay. Like- and, just uh, by playing music in, in that way, like you felt 
I just had not found my voice and my confidence. Mm-hmm. And I had inner dialogue, inner voices that were just always telling me to stop it. You know, mm-hmm. like you aren't, you weren't meant to do this or you had to start this when you were five. You can't do that. If they were voices from around me and I heard these voices mm-hmm. and I'd internalize them. Yeah. And, and, um, they were strong and, uh, then being married to somebody who is such a, a natural, easy musician, mm-hmm. but knowing that he started like it in his early teens and his parents got him bass lessons and, mm-hmm. um, it had been, uh, something he had continually done made me feel, or I thought, oh, I could never, you know, even approach it really. Mm-hmm. So I just had a lot of like, False, what do you call those limitations? False, yeah. Limiting beliefs. I had a whole bag full of limiting beliefs. Yeah. So. And what helped you get through that then? Was it people? Girls like Rock, Rhode Island. Oh yeah, Girls Rock. Totally. So at 48, by now I'm 48. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I had this heartbreaking thing happen, and um, and what it was was one of my. Uh, best friends wanted to start a band and it was the night I had introduced her to another friend of mine who they had never met before mm-hmm. and she said oh I want to start a band and the other one had barely begun to play guitar was like okay let's be a band I'm like I want to be in a band I think I could do it yeah and I was like I think maybe I could sing and I had been hearing songs in my head Mm-hmm. I've been here. I've actually been hearing songs in my head since I was in my twenties, mm-hmm. um, but somehow I would still dismiss it, you know. And, and so I was like, I think I could maybe write songs. I think I could maybe sing, and I could learn keyboard. I, you know, I had some accordion. And yeah. like, rock bands don't use keyboards, and these are women, mind you. Okay. Yeah. And this was just like my worst nightmare because I was just left out and I tried to just kind of suck it up and I would go to their shows and try to be supportive and stuff but I was just like brokenhearted that you weren't allowed to be part of this band. Yeah. yeah I'm like they're like well you might not like the kind of music anyway and I'm like I wouldn't even care I just want to play <laughs> yeah you know like yeah. um and it was I was really devastated by that but and then I just paid attention to that devastation I'm like if that hurts so so badly that's telling you something. Yeah. And what is it? And then those same two were like, sort of like in a consoling kind of way. We're like, well, maybe you should go to Girls Rock Rhode Island. They had gotten involved in it. Yeah. And they were like, oh, this great program and they're going to have a ladies camp and whatever. So I went and I decided, you know, since I'd already, they, they didn't do keyboards yet. So it was like, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, all right, and like well, what year was this? Do you this was, um, 10 years ago, so it was 2009. Yeah. And I was in their very first ladies' camp. Oh, nice. And so I'm like, all right, I want to do something that's going to help me write songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll do guitar. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I also wanted to sing. Mm-hmm. So I asked them if I could sing backups. And they're like, yeah, sure, just come on into the vocal class and, 
and yeah, you can work it out with your singer. And so mm-hmm. I just, it was amazing. They basically teach you a couple chords, but I couldn't even hold the chords at yeah. that time. I was able to manage to move one finger off and on a string because my fingers were so bloody from trying to make chords. Yeah, it's rough. It's really rough. Yeah, Yeah, my fingers were so torn off. All I could do was pull something off and on. Mm -hmm. And, but it was enough, Mm -hmm. you know, like if, and, and the magic of being in a band, which I didn't understand from my earlier accordion experience where you're making all the music with the accordion. When you're in a band, you just have to do your parts and other people will be doing their parts. I didn't realize that's how it worked at all. Mm -hmm. And so I could focus on my little thing and I didn't have to do it the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing about guitar that was so confusing to me was like, I'm like, how do you remember where you went for the different sounds? Like you just have to find a couple chords to get started in and then Mm -hmm. you start working around those and slowly over time you find your way around that guitar yeah and i had the best teacher karen orsi and and um patty mcgee were my teachers uh-huh. and and then karen would come over every saturday and would still teach me i would pay her and then we would have guitar therapy and, okay and anybody was welcome to come over with guitars and jam out in the basement and we started to figure things out yeah I wrote some songs, and eventually um, that band turned into Swamp Birds. We tried to hold the band together from the rock camp, but the um, other people in the band just were not quite as driven as I was. Yeah. Like, I don't think they, whatever that unleashed in me wasn't as strong, or they had other commitments or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but slowly, gradually, people started to come into my life who were more motivated. Yeah. And so that's how Swampert started. And it's always just been more of this group of um, come in and play. You don't have to be great. You just have to have a good attitude. And we're all going to encourage each other and um, help each other grow. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, the best band, because we're by far not the best band you've ever heard. Oh, you're good. <laughs> you're a good thank band. you. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, it's, it's always just been about Hey, let's, you know, if you want to meet and you, you want to develop some songs mm-hmm. and learn how to write together yeah. and support each other and not, um, there's just different styles of bands and mm-hmm. ours is all about being positive. So that's, that's, that's what it is. refreshing to hear, you know? Yeah, um, I know because a lot of bands bicker. Yeah. It's like a bicker fest. <laughs>
it's been different people over time because, you know, it's just life. I, yeah. At first we had um, Bronwyn Conakey who wrote a number of the songs that are on our album, but she was going to Brown getting her PhD, and of course she graduated and yeah. had to take her, her post-doc job, which took her way out to Colorado. Mm-hmm. But she was cool with us continuing to develop the song, and she actually recorded it with us. So she's singing on that album and playing guitar and has always been cool with us playing those songs. So Mm -hmm. there's some beautiful songs she wrote. She's an amazing songwriter Mm -hmm. and just a sweet, sweet soul. But she had to move on. And Mm -hmm. then we had Sue Metro. There was overlap with Sue Metro. Uh, who was playing um, lap steel? I don't know if you remember Sue. Um, I don't actually. Know. Yeah, she. Maybe I might have met her, but she was sent from some pretty well-known bands in Boston. Um, just a very seasoned uh, slide guitar player, who really the sound of that our that first album, well our only album, yeah. is Sue's slide guitar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Originally, we were the Swamp Reeds, which was, the idea was kind of like Lou Reed goes to the swamp, oh, what okay. it sound like, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that tells you a lot about what I like. I like Velvet Underground, too, mm-hmm. like country. Yeah, yeah. And all, I like all kinds of things. But, so it's a very open sound, whatever people want to bring to it. Yeah. But Sue uh, was the person that recorded the record, right? Or, yes. Um, where um, was that done? Two Ears. Um, she, we did it in our houses. Oh, okay. So Pedro Wein, Weinberg, who is our drummer, and he's now the longest standing member besides me. Yeah. Um, so he was playing with when Sue and Bronwyn were playing in the band way back then. Yeah. Um, so we recorded some of it at his house. We wired up his house. Sue was great at this stuff. Sue was a, a technician for Boston. For the band Boston. Oh, okay. She really knows what she's doing. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And so she, um, you know, would wire up the house. And cool. We we had a blast. It was so much. Pedro would bring oysters, and <laughs> <laughs> we would have these feasts and, and record. Cool. Um, but, but the downside of that is it took a really long time to mix and master. Mm-hmm. It just, it took well over two years. And that, to me, was like... Yeah. I was dying. Oh my god! So I don't think I'll ever really do it that way again. Yeah. When we're ready to record again, we'll probably go into studio and just yeah. knock try it to out. Do something in a try to a couple days or a week yeah. or whatever, and then. Which know. we had a we've had a number of lovely experiences with both machines with Magnus. They they actually mastered it for us. Mm-hmm. Seth and um, Keith. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then we we uh, Swamp Birds recorded with Kate Mick. When she recorded her new album. Yep. So um, we experienced. Um, and did she, she did that at Machines or? No. Um, what's what's it called? Oh, Big Nice, right? Big, Big Nice, nice Big yeah. Nice, or, and that was right awesome. Here. Yeah. That was really fun. So, yeah. So we we recorded, and then uh, oh, we also had Rochelle Rosencrantz was in our band for a little while. She was our upright bassist. Okay. In the very beginning, but she left before uh, we even recorded. She began getting really serious about building guitars and didn't have time to mm-hmm. be in a project all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so yeah. that's kind of Swampard's story. We Now we have Joanna Reed on bass, mm-hmm. and I met her through Girls Rock. 
Actually, Sue Metro, I met through Girls Rock. Rochelle Rosencrantz, I met on a whale watch, but also Girls Rock. Yeah. She and Sue were together um, for a workshop. Rochelle was teaching people how to DJ, and Sue was teaching people how to uh, take care of their guitars, like clean their jacks and oh, rewire wow. things and stuff. And I went to that, and that's how we met Sue. And I'm like, oh, you want to be in a band? She was looking for a band to be in. Mm-hmm. So she started playing with us. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of Girls Rock. It just brought this whole community yeah. together. It was the, the ladies' camp similar to Girls Rock where you learn and you know learn your parts, yes. form a band, and then perform at the end of that? Yeah, it's, you don't have to have any experience. You, yeah. you learn an instrument. You kind of speed date a band together. Yeah. So they might have uh, signs around the room that might say punk rock, garage rock, uh, country, whatever. And yeah. you, you kind of like go around in these little packs until you kind of suss a band together. Yeah. And what instrument you wanted to play. Yeah. So, um, so then you form this band, you barely learn your instrument. You learn enough to begin to write, but they right away tell you, just kind of like what Alec Redford was telling me, is like, think of yourself as a composer right away. Yeah. Um, and give yourself the credit that you can do that. Mm-hmm. Like, let that door open. Yeah. Because you can. And um, so you you have lessons maybe in the morning, and then you have practice sessions in the afternoon over yeah. a long weekend. So you start on Friday morning, and they're also doing empowerment workshops in there talking to you about the media and how how women are downplayed, like our intelligence is downplayed and um or how we're expected to, you know, dress certain ways and uh how everybody thinks the woman coming in with the band is the boy the girlfriend of one of the band members, not a serious musician, you know, things like that. Um just doing stuff to empower you and um, so you have your practices and on that third day by Sunday afternoon, you are performing a song that you wrote with your bandmates. Mm-hmm. They do give you a little songwriting seminar, mm-hmm. you know, 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You learn what a verse, a chorus, yeah, like <laughs> a bridge, you know, yeah. an intro and an outro is. And a lot of people don't, I yeah. didn't know what those things were necessarily yeah. before that. Um, and you perform it on a stage in front of a real audience. So we uh, we were at, I think it was at Jam Stage, maybe. Or mine was, or it was at ASC 20 or something. And yeah, it's really scary. And you're like shaking. Yeah. Um, and it's like, is it fear? Is it adrenaline? Or it's a combination of both. And you just have to do it. And then it's the most amazing, exhilarating thing yeah. I'd ever done. I was high for days. Like, I... Would we play back when people started to send clips? And I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I did that. You know? That's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. It was absolutely fantastic.
the woman who was our vocal teacher in Girls Rock was Chrissy Wolpert, oh, yeah, who was yeah. starting the choir, the Assembly of Light Choir. Yeah. And she's like, I want you to be in my choir. And awesome. so I've been in that choir now for 10 years. And that, if you really want to learn to sing, God, join a choir. Mm -hmm. Because every week she's reminding us about how we should breathe. And it's such a mysterious mechanism, the voice. Um, but to have her constantly giving us little images and ways to think about it, mm -hmm. gradually over time, you start to get it. Yeah. And, um, that's been a, just a real joy and another wonderful community of yeah. women, you know. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about what Assembly of Light Choir is, like how many people are in it and what type of There's songs are doing? There's like 15 to 20 mm -hmm. um, people in it. The songs generally are written by Chrissy. Yeah. So she's an amazing composer. She was, I think she went to URI, either that or Rhode Island College. I can't remember which but majored in um, vocal, mm -hmm. and she is associated with the body, she and um, Lee. Yeah, okay. So um, she was saying to Lee that she'd always wanted to do a choir, mm -hmm. to, to start a choir. He's like, well, come on, do it. And he just to totally encouraged her to do it. Yeah. And so she does these six-part amazing songs that we sometimes sing with, Doom Sludge Metal Band, The Body. Yeah, you've which like is amazing. Together, right? What's that? You've, you've yes, together. we've toured yeah. together with them. And um, it's just so much fun. Mm -hmm. And the challenge of learning songs that are not related to words, most of our songs are just tones. That's been a really great challenge because um, my singing, writing usually, and my memory of singing usually has much more to do with the words. Mm -hmm. I'm a very verbal person and and sometimes when I read poems I hear melodies just from reading them. Mm -hmm. But it's the wellspring is the words. Yeah. But with this, there there are no words. Oh and so she's just writing yeah. tones basically? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And and but their movements she's she'll be like, now this part is where the army is coming out of the forest after defeat. You know, or, or after seeming defeat they're coming yeah. out of the forest. This is where everyone's victorious and joyful. This is you're returning home, or and it's it's just feelings interpreted in in sound. And mm -hmm. to me, that's just like uh, so amazing. Like my hair yeah. is standing on and talking about it because it's like, how do you do that? Yeah. It's incredible. So and know where you are in it, in the time and all that. It's, mm -hmm. So it's this, it's been this whole other education and um, fascination. Yeah. Yeah. And do you always perform in in a circle? Is that correct? Or no, is, or, don't you know? always oh, okay. I, 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 I guess the time Sometimes. that I've seen you has been like that. So. Yeah. Did you see oh. us at the port? Um, no. Will did talk about that. I've seen some videos, like from when you were touring with the body. Um, mm -hmm. We usually yeah. it's, it's either a circle or or you. Okay. Because like, you want to kind of get that sound blending. Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, it just it just depends on the space. Yeah. Will's was probably uh, Will Shaft's place for foreclosure in Warren. Tiny little space, and we sang with the audience in the middle of us. Mm -hmm. And I still hear from people about how amazing that that yeah. experience was, just to be flooded with sound all around you. Yeah. Yeah. And in that case, we did um, have words, and. Mm -hmm. 
that was a W.S. Merwin poem called Lark, which I had found. Yeah. And I was like, these words are amazing. These are perfect for the choir. Cool. Because um, the last lines are so beautiful. It's about being down in, in, in darkness and then coming out into mm-hmm. the light. Um, and the last lines are, I the shadow, sing I the light. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was just like, oh my gosh, I sent it to her and she had been working coincidentally on this other piece and she's like, these words are perfect for this piece. And oh, she that. hates writing words. <laughs> so she incorporated these words into that. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, we sang that there that night, and we've, we've sung that a number of different places. I had also been encouraged to sing by a guy. I don't know. Do you know Elliot? My friend Elliot Clapp? There's this whole other band story I don't know if you know about. Our friend Elliot came over with this little um, Game Boy. Mm-hmm. And this is when I was having this secret urge to sing, yeah. but was too intimidated to do it. Mm-hmm. And Elliot was like, Jen, sing into this box. Just sing something silly. And there were fish swimming by, and when you'd sing, it would be like a bubble of the fish, and the fish would swim around and come back again, and it would just loop it. And I think I sang something like, Ajiba in French, you know, like, that was my secret childhood word. Anyways, (laughs) he's like, I like it, let's be in a band. I'm like, what? So he came over, and he would do this electronic stuff, and I would sing poetry, because I also love poetry, going back to art school. The literature and poetry piece is huge with me, and so... Friday nights, Elliot would come over, and then Brian joined in, mm-hmm. and and Vaughn Boone would come over, and it was just a jam every yeah. Friday, and I would basically open poetry books and sing into whatever mood they had set with whatever jam they were doing. Yeah. Or I would I would make things up, or I would um, or sing my own poems that I'd written mm-hmm. earlier in the week. Yeah. Or or sing things from the newspaper or whatever. It was just like this crazy like jam open, thing. Open source kind open of thing. Open source yeah. thing. And that started just before I went to the girls' rock band. Okay. And I think that was because Elliot knew I had been left out of that other thing. And he okay. just came over with this thing and was curious, you know, and, yeah. and friendly and was like, well, let's try this. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I kind of owe it to him that the beginning of the singing thing. And then this... So that was cardboard cannons, and we would actually do that live. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't, I saw did you ever one. see that? I never saw it, but as I was kind of going, I saw you did some some festivals and yeah, some we did some around. like buzz fests and yeah. noise fests and things like that. The thing is that I always looked at that as a sketchbook, so that was like sketchbook. Yeah. And and we recorded every single thing we ever did, 
And if I found something that was even mildly interesting, I would post it on a website. Mm -hmm. And some of the Swampert songs are actually songs that were born in that. Oh, So in that album, um, the songs Let Me Pretend and Double Drowning and there's some songs that were poems by W.S. Merwin and uh, T.S. Eliot. Mm -hmm. That's all from Kyle Brook Cannons because I opened a book and it was T.S. Eliot his poem Virginia mm-hmm. and it just perfectly fit the melody or the sound that was going on and I would start to hear a melody in my head and I would yeah. just sing it. And I was like, that was pretty good and then we brought it into Swamp Earth and you make it totally sound different mm-hmm. rather than electronic. It sounded more swampy or Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's re- I miss it so much. I really mm-hmm. miss that. I'd like for us to do that again sometime. There was something that, so I was not afraid to get on stage, approach the stage, begin to play, but at some point, something would start tremoring. Oh, okay. So it could be my hand, like a girl's rock, it could be my leg, you know, or my, my mouth would just dry up. So I think it was adrenaline, you know, like my lips would be stuck to my teeth and my tongue would be stuck to the top of my mouth. Yeah. And I could, I would be like, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? But you just get through it. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get through it is to get through it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, maybe after, I don't know, 50 times of doing that, all of mm-hmm. a sudden, like now when I play my mouth, never dries, dries mm-hmm. up. Occasionally, I still get a tremor, but it's not, it's pretty rare now. Okay. It's just, you just kind of have to work that stuff out of it it's it's like adrenaline management i would have never known that's what people say (laughs) so apparently i have some kind of stage presence that you don't you don't see that yeah but oh yeah there was a lot of inner battles going on yeah there yeah but it felt but there was something bigger overriding it Mm -hmm. that just loves to be in this body in this existence in this world playing music yeah you know. no it's it's wonderful i mean it's um knowing you as i said over the you know couple of years i just wouldn't have put together that your, your backstory here you know like i look at you as just such a um just strong powerful force in the rhode island music scene wow, that i wouldn't have you. i wouldn't have I'm... looked at like oh that's jen that yeah no. had, you know had 
to you know go through all these other hurdles to get wow. to where she is. Are you so. listening, Girls Rock and Elliot <laughs> and Brian? <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, and thank them for all the support. But with regard to whales. Ah, yes, with regard to <laughs> whales. That's a um, great title. That'll be the title of my new book, <laughs> with regard to whales. Can you talk about the, the whale guitar? Sure. So the whale guitar is kind of the combination of all those things. Um, I also, way back in my Cleveland days, I've had... I've had a fascination with the book Moby Dick, and I had been trying to read it for years, and weird things would happen, like my apartment bust a pipe from the laundry room, and it um, flooded one book that I had started to read. Another mm -hmm. book I had started to read um, started over in the middle, like it was not bound correctly. It was a one of those weird mistakes. Yeah, okay. So I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I had a number of strange things like that where that process of trying to read this book, just like process of trying to read music or whatever, lots of interruptions or blockades, you know. Mm -hmm. Then I moved out here. I'm like, I'm going to try to read this book one more freaking time. <laughs> so I picked up a copy and we were somewhere, we were like in Provincetown or something when I bought this copy. And I started reading it and I finally finished it. And... By then, I was playing in Swamp Birds, and Brian, my husband, is an avid guitar collector, mm -hmm. and he walks to the door, and he's like, I just got this crazy guitar, look at this thing, and it's this Japanese Yamaha guitar, it's blue, it's got a white pick guard, and it's got the kind of headstock where all the tuning pegs are along the top mm -hmm. on one side. And I looked at it, and Bronwyn was in the room with us, and she said, your eyes rolled back in your head. And I saw the whole thing. Like, the body was the whale, and the headstock was the whaling boat, and the tuning pegs were the heads of the whalers, mm -hmm. and the guitar strings were the harpoons okay. into the whale. And, and I'm like, I just had the craziest thing happen. And I, and I do think it's because I'd had guitars in my hand mm -hmm. and that makes an impression in your brain. And I also am a transformative thinker. I mean, I'm somebody who, somebody will say, I need a 1999 toy that for babies age three months, six months. And then I have to like think of something. <laughs> so it's create, I, I'm a creative. That's yeah. what I've been made to do all my life. Um, and so it just transformed. I'm like, well, that was interesting. And I did a little sketch. But because I'd been designing toys for so long, it, it like it just kept coming out cute. And I'm like, it's not supposed to be cute. It's supposed to be ferocious and mm -hmm. iconic. And I had met Will Shaft mm -hmm. through the choir. And so when I had this vision, I had that in storage. And I'm like, Let's see if Will would be interested in in uh, helping me bring this to life. You know? Yeah. So I I called him, and he's like, "Well, write it out what you want, you know." Yeah. And so I did, and I'm like, "I don't know, you know, the guitar's a whale, and the headstock's the the <laughs> boat, and Ahab, you know, is it going to be on the front?" And he's, I'm like, "Is this cool or is this Belbita?" And he's like, 
Miss Jen, and he always called me, he calls everyone with a miss, you yeah. know, Miss Jen, I've always wanted to design a guitar. And he's like, I think it's cool. Let's do it. Nice. And I'm like, wow. So I, I commissioned him. Yeah. And um, what, uh, what year was this? Do you remember? Uh, I think it's 2013. Okay. I think it was completed in 2014. So it's five years old now. Yeah. Um, which is a whaling voyage. Yeah. Okay. So that's another topic we'll talk about. Yeah. But, um, so he laid it out. Meanwhile, Rochelle was still in my band, mm-hmm. Rochelle Rosencrantz. Um, and she was leaving her job as an industrial designer to become a luthier. She had been taking lessons at Shady Lay in North Kingstown, okay. learning how to build guitars. Wow. So I showed her the sketch. I'm like, what do you think of this? Is this cool? Or is this Velveeta? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, it's cool. I love it. Let's make it. Yeah. So I commissioned Rochelle and I commissioned Will. It was one of the first guitars she ever made. And probably one of the last electric guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, she um, is now really well known for these amazing acoustics she builds. So she doesn't always want me to talk about the whale guitar oh. because she's, you know, it's tightly branded in terms of acoustics and stuff okay. like that. So, but I think she made, she did the most amazing job between the two of them. Mm-hmm. His, his drawing, and the way she carved it out, it's just so beautiful. And people mm-hmm. just drop when they see that. Mm-hmm. How, how, it, even in photographs, it's beautiful, but not when you see it in real life. Yeah. It's just so much more and people are just stunned by it all the mm-hmm. time. And what's the, the mission behind the guitar? So as the guitar was being made, I didn't, I didn't really know what its mission was. And I just knew there was something there. Mm-hmm. And as an industrial designer, I'd been thinking for a long time about the impact of like all the plastic that I was making. Ultimately, like mm-hmm. what's happening to all this stuff. And I was growing more and more concerned about the environment. And um, I'd been moving towards alignment with my values. I didn't know how I was going to get there. Like, but I knew that I wanted to shift. Like there. I knew toys up, down, and sideways, but I wasn't feeling like it was what I should be doing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I'd been, uh, I, I don't know, asking my higher power, whatever you want to call it, like, well, what is next for me? You know, mm-hmm. I, I want, I, I have these abilities and I want to use them for a further purpose, mm-hmm. you know. And so as the guitar was being built, it began to occur to me that, um, this story, Moby Dick, was really a metaphor about the environment. Uh, I mean, there are many people have many metaphors of what the meaning of Moby Dick is all about. But um, I began to see that the whale could represent nature and um, the force of nature rising up against unnecessary provocation. Mm-hmm. So Ahab, this madman, who kept provoking this white whale for revenge and ego purposes, and he was willing to put his entire crew at peril. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really out there hunting whales for oil at all. He didn't care about that at all. They did hunt a few for oil, but really he just wanted that white whale. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he put his entire crew at peril. He also imperiled the fortunes of his investors. There was a lot of money invested in that ship, and he could care less. Yeah. It was all about getting this whale, which he saw as the personification of all evil, and if he could kill that, he could kill evil. But he had clearly gone mad. Mm-hmm. It's also about Starbuck. So we have mad leadership, basically. And we have a force of nature. We are provoking by following the mad leadership, which is Ahab. We're just the schmucks in the boat, basically just trying to do our jobs and make a living. But our whole economic system, the tie lines to that, which are the guitar strings tying you back to that leader, yeah. um, is based on something that's not sustainable and something that's provoking nature, something that's exploiting nature. And nature is starting to turn and rise against us. Yeah. Um, then the strap bears the words of Starbuck um, when Starbuck realized that the captain was mad and he tried to reason with him. And, you know, some mad leaders don't take reason <laughs> very at all. <laughs> at all. So reason is kind of like <laughs> science, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, oh, Ahab, not too late is it even now, the third day to desist. And that's what's embroidered on the strap. So the third day has religious connotations. It's where you either sink or, or rise. And so that's where we are today. So whale guitar is about where we are today. That's what the mission is. And I was just reading this book about um, uh, Greta Thunberg. Oh, yeah. And she has a little blurb, which I'm going to um, put in this office. And it talks about what she calls cathedral design. And that's when when they began building cathedrals, they didn't know what it was going to end up being. Even like the Gaudi one that's still being built. Mm-hmm. Um, you start with something of an idea and you, you, yeah. you get the mission becomes clearer as you build upward. And that's sort of how the whale guitar was. I didn't know what this was yeah. when it started. And I still don't completely yeah. know. Although I do know it's been a whaler's journey by now in yeah. time. So I am um, part of the reason I'm in this office is because now I want to focus in on the next phase for this guitar, which is actually to be auctioned. This is a really interesting guitar. It's a one of a kind guitar, and it has been played and signed by hundreds of guitarists. Yeah, yeah. I guess can you talk a little bit more of like how has it been used over these you know, over five, these five, five years? years and, you know, has has it been used to um, bring awareness to these issues at, yeah. during shows and stuff? Can you talk a little bit more about that? So the idea, as it kind of evolved, at first I actually thought the guitar was about saving whales, and then I realized. We were in much thicker waters. Mm-hmm. Like whales, it's, it's really important to save whales. Mm-hmm. But, um, climate, it, if we can save whales from hunters, but climate, if climate changes too much, it's bigger than hunters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I began to realize that, well, maybe I could take this guitar around and get it signed by different, um, played and signed. And that its value might increase with certain signatures mm-hmm. and that someday it would be auctioned for climate um, action. But also during the time that it's out being signed and by out being signed, I mean, I'll just show up with it somewhere mm-hmm. and pop up 
with it, for example, we, we snuck it into Newport Folk Fest mm-hmm. and brought it backstage where Jay Maskus was, and he played and signed it. Yeah. And then that led to it being invited to the Bowery in New York for um, his 50th birthday and the 30th anniversary of Dinosaur Jr. Mm-hmm. And then it got signed by Bob Mould and Lee Ronaldo and and um, Kim Gordon and wow. and Henry Rollins and so many amazing Jenny Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that was just incredible. Maybe it could have stopped there. I <laughs> but I kept going with it. It's been played um, by around 200 people, a ton of local Providence people, because I think it's also very special for Providence. It sprung up here. It's really speaks of the creative collider that Providence is, that if you dare to do something, even if it's kind of wacky and or you don't know where it's leading, you find yourself enmeshed with people who are interested in it and will, will help you if it's, if it's a, a worthy cause, mm-hmm. you know. So people have loved to play it and, and sign it. Yeah. So I've, I just will show up places with it. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know. So I think this last year I'll be trying to get a, a few more, you know, I mean, my one of my big dreams, of course, is some of my very early rock influences, which would be Neil Young. Mm-hmm. Neil Young, if you're out there listening, <laughs> please play the whale guitar. Yeah, I think you'd love it. I'd love for um, Slater Kinney people oh, to play yeah. it because they started Girls Rock Rhode Island, which led to this whole thing. Yeah, you know. So Carrie Bronstein, if you're out there and yes. you hear this. Please play the whale guitar. <laughs> I even photoshopped her playing it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um. Did you send it to her and say, this could really be you? I, I, I have yet to learn what the trick is to actually, um, get the, get the attention of people at that level. Yeah. I haven't really learned that yet. Um. Yeah, but yeah. it seems like just the, the concept of what you're doing resonates with a lot of people you know and I know it does with me I'm not a guitarist but I just like what you're doing I think that you're what makes the whale guitar project like really interesting to me is that you're taking this like very um, critical problem that we have and, and getting it out to a community that isn't always I mean they're they're open to things but it's all also you know can be probably argued that there's like too much that is going on but this is like a, a new way to actually be hands-on like what you're saying with sort of this gorilla style, like just yeah. showing up with a guitar, like this up. is now here, here's this other message, that it's a lot different than here's another like well-designed flyer that's going to tell you what the problem is and, and have this, you know, how you can make that change. Like it's, I mean, the pictures that I've seen of people playing the guitar, they seem like legitimately interested in the whole story that you just said of how it was designed by this, you know, this artist and made by hand and all these other things. It, it seems that they're like interested in that. And then that can kind of spur that message right. even farther forward. And, wow. Thank you. That um, it's always good for me to hear that whenever you do something like this, there's, and coming from my background, there's where there was so much doubt about your right to even be a musician, right? You're, we're all supposed to be, uh, you know, nurses or or 
something um, very practical from where I came from, you know. And so, um, I don't know, it's just so good to hear, like, uh, affirmation mm-hmm. and and recognition of the value of, of what this brings. And not only that, but that kind of handmade DIY kind of way that it's being done. Mm-hmm. Because it is that. It's not a slick thing. It's not... Um, glossy by any means it's mm-hmm. just it's just me and whatever energy I have to throw at it with that I guess what would you say is your greatest musical accomplishment I think it was allowing myself to giving myself permission to learn to play music as mm-hmm. an adult remember when I was saying I was looking for how was I going to shift from um, my toy design work to something more aligned with my values. Mm -hmm. When I left the corporate world, I named my business Pivotal Design with the intentions that I would shift into green design. Mm -hmm. And at the time, this was 12 years ago, I would go to conferences like Better World for Design and things like that trying to like absorb information about how how what I needed to do to be to um, shift from this like plastic heavy industry even though at that time I still didn't really understand the level of plastic issues mm-hmm. um, and at some point I got frustrated with that because it seemed like every material had its own set of issues and I didn't I, w- I was so... Um, so educated in like how to do, uh, vacuum form, vacuum molding and things like that, that all these new processes, uh, maybe the learning curve was really tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, but then something like said, you know, it's okay. Don't try to save the world yet. Just follow this urge to learn how to play music. And I did. Mm-hmm. And then that led to this mission. So I think that was my greatest musical accomplishment was trusting that voice that said back off, you know, you you worked really hard all these years, like going to school as an adult with kids and getting corporate jobs and moving away from home. And you did all these really hard things. And now you're trying to do this other hard thing. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you miss in all that? It was music. Mm -hmm. Give yourself that for a little while and see what happens. Don't try to design this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Let it, this this cathedral model, you know, take some steps, and then maybe the picture will start to form. So I did that. I think that is the greatest accomplishment, because then the whale guitar, it's become clear the shift, and um, I'm now doing things like branding. I just did um, for the Secretary of State and Rhode Island Council of Humanities, uh, there's, they are launching programming around the, the 19th Amendment, which uh, in 1920, women were finally, it's, it's not right to say given the right to vote, because actually they were always citizens, they always had the right, but they were blocked by the culture, the male-dominated culture. Mm-hmm. And in 1920, the last state finally ratified, that was Tennessee, um, ratified 
the protection of the right for women to vote. Mm-hmm. And so women finally were allowed to vote without getting thrown in jail or any any other barricades. And 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 this is fraught. This is also fraught with um, racism because black women really didn't get their rights protected well until the 60s, even though um, the 15th Amendment is um, about not being blocked from voting based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. But people were very wily and sneaky and made pulled taxes and all kinds of things to block um, African Americans and people of color and Amer- um, Native Americans and uh, Asian Americans from voting. Mm-hmm. Um, so African Americans really didn't get their vote until the 60s, till the vote, Voting Protections Right um, mm-hmm. Act. So there was a call for for people to do a design to tie this commemoration piece together, and I did that. And that's where I'm now shifting. Like I'm, not, I did I designed my last toy over two years ago. Mm-hmm. So I've been for two years trying to figure out. All right, well, what am I doing now? I don't know, um, but it's becoming clear. Mm-hmm. And so this taking this, uh, it's like food, right? You have to eat, and the Music for me was nourishment that I really needed. And now I'm able to shift my life. Now mm-hmm. I can figure out what it is I'm really supposed to be doing. So that's it. That's awesome, Jen. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for your your interest in, in, um, in, in inviting me to do this. I, yeah. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jane. <laughs>